podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Monday, the 22nd of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com. I'd ask you to check out the other podcasts available from EPL Index. The EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, should be out right now. Check out the EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider. There's also a tad predictable, hosted by my good buddy Tadiwa. That will be out later this week and there's plenty of good writing there as well stuff from jake jackman that's always very good stuff from the man i call the machine stephen smith which is always excellent plenty of good stuff to check out there we're also brought to you by our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access things you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe Go to libertyshield.com right now. There are a choice of two options. The hardware package is a router mailed out to you, mailed worldwide. You plug that directly into your existing router, and then you connect any devices you want to change the IP address to this new router. Everything else can stay connected to your existing one. But if you want to get around blocks like BBC iPlayer if you're a UK expat, RTE player if you're an Irish expat, Hulu, Peacock, anything like that if you want to get access to the American stuff. Connect those devices to your new Liberty Shield router, and that's what works. It also keeps your data safe, and if you use the code EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout. There's also a software package that's instantly downloadable, to your devices, and again, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. Do check out Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Now... Not normally one to pat myself on the back, but this, I think, is quite worth mentioning. Today is the 500th episode of the Two-Footed Podcast. The 500th episode of this show, dating back two years. I've had one week off when I went to France. And a couple of days here and there. But otherwise, me and the man that this podcast wouldn't be possible without, Guy Drinkle, have been here every day for two years. And I think that's a fairly decent effort. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you continue to enjoy it. I hope you will tell your friends and help us continue to grow the show. But yeah, 
500 episodes in. Here's to the next 500, I suppose. Right. Let's talk about the football at the weekend. What a strange, strange weekend of games in the Premier League. You wouldn't have it any other way. We start off with Tottenham 1, Wolves 0 at the Tottenham Stadium. A game that Wolves were clearly the better team in. A game in which they dominated the first half. The second half was fairly even, but Wolves were still the better team. Spurs did look more threatening because they had more quality in attack. But Wolves lined up with a midfield of Nunes, Neves and Moutinho and dominated the midfield battle. Playing a 4-3-3, Johnny Castro right back, eight Nuri left back, Collins and Kilman in midfield, and then Neto, Pedence and Guedes up front. They just had a real fluidity to them. Now, things tended to break down once the ball got into that final third because Pedence just isn't a false nine. He He's not suitable to that position. It doesn't work for him. But they got good news in that Raul Jimenez came back. And Jimenez came off the bench and looked pretty lively. They were also able to bring Huang and Adama Traore off the bench. So decent options there for Wolves. You'd still like to see them go and get a striker. It's the one flaw in this potential team. Because they've got Semedo back as well. So he'll slot back in at right back. Aitnuri at left back. Collins and Kilman. That midfield is excellent. And then Neto and Guedes either side of a striker. That will be a very, very formidable team. Tottenham won the game through a Harry Kane header on 64 minutes. Corner to Spurs. Flick on at the front post by Ivan Perisic, which fooled Nathan Collins, who took a step out to go and meet the original flight of the ball. The flick on brought it past him and Kane scores from three yards out. Kane didn't have a particularly good game. Spurs in general didn't have a particularly good game, but it's a very good three points. And Spurs are looking more and more like an Antonio Conte team. You don't need to play well. You just need to get the results. And like last weekend against Chelsea, they get the results. So Spurs will be thrilled with their start to the season. They've got to be happy with how things sit right now. Seven points from a fairly difficult three-game run. Southampton, who've done very well in the last two games. Chelsea, who we'll talk about them, but they're a very, very good team. They're going to be top four. And then Wolves, who are going to be very difficult to play against this season. And are a striker away from having potentially a team that could make Europa League. Now, injuries obviously will play a part, but that starting 11 is looking very, very good. Um, so Spurs are going to be happy with how they've started, and Antonio Conte should be happy with that as well. They currently sit fourth in the league. Now it's three games, so it's irrelevant where the league table uh, has you at the minute. But I, I think they'll be very, very happy with how the season's begun for them. They get... Nottingham Forest away next weekend, followed by West Ham away, and then Fulham at home. So, a difficult enough run, and to be fair, 
they've got a really difficult run up until probably the middle of November when they only have uh, sorry even up until the World Cup break Spurs have a really hard start to the season but Conte has them playing like a team that really believes in themselves and really knows what their roles are now for Wolves that is the second defeat of the season and that puts them in 17th position with just one point but I don't think they need to panic about anything they get Newcastle at home next that's going to be a tough game because the tuna tuna looked really good at the weekend but then they get Bournemouth then they get Southampton at home those are games they should win so I think Wolves are going to be good this year. And Guy is informing me that Mr. Pletigol is reporting that Sasa Kalazadzic, whose name I've just butchered, is in talks with Wolves. So that's an interesting... That's an interesting one. Verbal agreement between the players and Wolves... Stuttgart want 25 million. Wolves want to finalize the deal in the next couple of days. That would be that would be a near perfect get for how Bruno Lage wants to play. His age profile is exactly what they want. 25, just beginning to hit his peak. Didn't have a great year last year. A lot of injuries, but the season before his first season in the Bundesliga, stick sixteen goals in thirty three games. A six foot seven center forward. Now I know what's going to happen here. Arsenal fans are going to look at that and say we're getting Neto because David Ornstein has reported this morning that Arsenal are in talks to sign Pedro Neto. However. He does make it clear in his story, Wolves do not want to sell Neto. And I've spoken to multiple Wolves journalists who've said there is no chance they'll sell him this summer unless a ridiculous offer comes in. Arsenal can't afford a ridiculous offer. This kid, I'm going to call him Sasha because I'm not going to butcher the poor lad's surname again. He is not a replacement for Neto. They're not selling Neto to fund him, in my view. I think he is the final addition. I think this this is more likely to be the Gibbs White money. I know they've already brought in Collins and Guedes and um, who's the other fellow they brought in? Nunes. 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 So, you know, I understand they've brought those three in, but I don't think this is selling Neto. I really don't. I think this is Wolves, who didn't spend much of anything last summer. I think this is them finally backing their manager. And uh, I really like this addition. If they can get that one done and have him into that team, Wolves are going to be a problem for a lot of clubs. They are. They're going to be a problem for a lot of clubs to try and deal with. Uh, let's move on. Everton won. Nottingham Forest won. A very boring, drab sort of game. Uh, typically Everton, they just don't 
really have any ambition at the minute. Now, they've got no real striker. They played Rondon up front at the weekend, but it's a very, very boring Everton team. Forrest, I think, will be happy with the draw. Now, Forrest got bad news. Nia Kath is going to be out for a couple of months. Originally, it seemed like he was going to be back for this weekend. Steve Cooper came out after the game and said he's going to be out for a couple of months. Allegedly, they've bid for Willie Bolly from Wolves, and that was turned down. They're apparently also in talks to sign Sergio Regulon on loan because Omar Richards is out with a hairline fracture of his leg. So they do need another one at left wing back, and they probably well they they do need one more centre back anyway. I think, but I don't think don't know that Willie Bolly is the answer to any question. Um, I will say I had a bit of a look at this game again. I was watching it and another one at the same time. And I went back and watched a bit more of this. And I do have some concerns over Forrest. I really like Joe Worrell. I think he's a very good centre-back. I'm just not sure he's a right-side centre-back in a three in the Premier League. I feel like in a three, he needs to play in the middle. And I wonder if he might become a weak link because he does struggle a little bit for pace. Now, Cooper's a very smart coach and I'm sure he'll make adjustments. But when you're playing Worrell and Steve Cook, that's a very slow pairing. Now, you could, if you bring in a quicker centre-back, you can get away with it. Like, with Nia Kath, it wasn't so much of an issue. But with Cook, it's going to be an issue that Worrell is, is a bit ponderous. Um, this game ended 1-1. Brennan Johnson scored on 81 after a bit of a howler from Pickford to slap a shot in his general direction, uh, which Johnson finished comfortably. But Damari Gray equalised on 88, and it's a really bad goal for Forrest to concede. It's... It's just really disappointing to see. Pickford picks the ball up and lo- just literally laughs it over everybody. And Damari Gray just runs onto it, 1v1 with the keeper, finishes quite well. You'll be disappointed if you're Forrest going home. Forrest deserved to win that game. They were the better team. Uh, Lampard came out afterwards and said that they were the better team. I, I don't know what he watched, um, but I, I don't know the Frank Lampard watch as much of anything. I think he just prances about to make a show of himself. Um, Everton do climb out of the bottom three, though, uh, which is a boost for them, and they'll be quite happy about that. Everton now sits 16th, uh, ahead of Wolves on goals scored. They've scored two, Wolves have scored one. Um, I I still think they're going to be in major trouble this year. I I really do think they're going to, going to struggle to stay up. They've got Brentford away, Leeds away, and then Liverpool at home in their next three. And then it gets really difficult. They go to Arsenal, they get West Ham at home. They get Southampton away, United at home, Spurs away, and Newcastle away. Like That's a really tough run. Uh, so I wouldn't fancy being Everton at the moment. But... They've still got time to add a couple more players. Mohamed Kudus is one that looks like he might arrive from Ajax on a loan with an option to buy. Mega talented. Mega talented. 
But I don't know that Lampard's the, the manager to get the best out of him. Same thing with Onana. I just don't see that Lampard is the guy who's going to get the best out of these players. But hopefully it sets up a good situation for whoever comes in next. Uh, let's move forward with Forrest's next game. Forrest, by the way, 10th in the league on four points. And up next for them is a very tough back-to-back pair of games. They get Tottenham at home, and then they go to City. Then they have Bournemouth at home, Leeds away, and Fulham at home. They'll expect to beat Bournemouth and Fulham at home. And I wouldn't rule out them going to Leeds and getting a point, maybe. So if they can take seven points from those five games, that'll be 11 points through eight games. I don't think that's a bad start for the season at all. Uh, Let's keep going. Leicester won Southampton 2. James Madison scored a great free kick on 54 to put Leicester 1-0 up. And then they just capitulated. Che Adams scored on 68. He scored again on 84. And then he almost added a hat-trick a couple of minutes later. And Brendan Rodgers is now the odds-on favourite to be the first manager sacked in the Premier League. He is 2-1 to one on to be the first manager sacked. Lampard's 11 to 2, then Steven Gerrard at 6 to 1, Ralph Hasenhutl at 13 to 2, and Eric Ten Hag at 8 to 1. I think those first three, Rodgers, Lampard, and Gerrard, I think it's a three horse race for one of them to be the first manager sacked. A couple of outlets actually suspended betting on Rodgers last night. Now, there seemed to be a lot of chatter among Leicester fans on social media that rumours were going round that he had been dismissed. Now, it'll probably come out as mutual consent or whatever the the standard practice is, but it wouldn't surprise me if Brendan doesn't last much longer. This, This was really poor. This was a team that have kind of given up on their manager. They were playing at home against Southampton. They had 62% of the ball. They had one shot on target. They're stagnant in attack. They're all over the place in defence. Castanier, all at sea. Amarty, I'm not sure why he's in the team. Johnny Evans is washed. James Justin is literally a one-man band back there, and even he had a poor game at the weekend. Danny Ward is not a first-choice Premier League goalkeeper. You look at the midfield, and Didi, and then four in front of him, three of whom are Madison, Dewsbury Hall, and Barnes. That's really good. Aosi Perez is no one's option. If they could upgrade on him, that five-man midfield would be absolutely outstanding. Now, they do have an in-house upgrade on that by moving Madison wide, maybe swap Barnes to the right, Madison on the left, and bring in Tielemans. Tielemans was left out of the team. He was on the bench. Uh, Vardy played up front, and obviously Vardy is Vardy. Signed a new contract, so he looks like he's sticking around. I wonder was the uh, the interest from Manchester United something created by his agent. Uh, notable absentee Wesley Fafana, who sat in the stands and watched the game. Rogers said he wasn't in the right headspace to play. Ongoing talks over his future. Chelsea, very, very keen. Leicester demanding a world record fee for a defender. Chelsea not really keen to pay that much, but they might end up doing so anyway. Now, if 
Leicester sell now, that's going to be really foolish. I get the fee. It's incredible. But you could have sold him a month ago when all the interest began. And you might have gotten a better deal. You might have been able to get a couple of players. Now, if you're selling him now, you've got to try and get Conor Gallagher back in that deal, in my view. Get Gallagher back. Barnes right, Madison left. Gallagher and Dewsbury Hall ahead of Ndidi. Then you can look at selling Thielemans, who's got a year left in his deal. Use the rest of the money from... So say you get, I don't know, 45 million in Gallagher. Put that 45 million into buying yourself. Not one, but two centre-backs. And you can boost that by selling Thielemans. And that gives you maybe 45 million to go and buy two centre-backs. No, sorry, 65 million to go and buy two centre-backs. Because you need to. You do need to. I'd actually try and buy a goalkeeper as well if I could. I might even go goalkeeper and one centre-back because Danny Ward is just not up to scratch. Uh, Leicester, not the ideal start to the season, obviously. They sit 18th, one point from their three games. Uh, Eight goals conceded, the worst in the division. Five goals scored, which is fairly impressive, but they just can't, they can't defend. They can't defend. Um, for Southampton, this is a really good result. They fought back last weekend against Leeds and got a draw. They fought back this weekend and got the win over Southampton. This is not a team that's given up on the manager, in my view. This is not a team where the dressing room content is a real issue. But it's going to get tested. So next weekend, they get United at home. Then it's Chelsea at home. Then Wolves away. That's a difficult three-game run. Leicester, they are in bother. Chelsea away, United at home, Brighton away. That's going to be very, very difficult. I don't think Brendan Rodgers lasts much longer. A heavy defeat next weekend, if he lasts that long, there's no way they can keep him. Guys mentioned Chalaba as another player that Leicester should look at, and I agree, they should. If, they, if they're going to sell Fafana, try and get everything you can out of Chelsea. Whatever's not nailed down, try and get it, because you're in a bit of a shambles at the minute, and your defence is absolutely catastrophic. Fulham 3, Brentford 2. Uh, Bobby Reed put Fulham 1-0 up on one minute with the scruffiest goal you'll see all season. Joe Polina rose highest to head home a second on 20. Powerful header from a corner. Christian Norgaard pulled one back on the stroke of half time. Ivan Tony had a goal disallowed that would have equalised. Then Tony managed to score himself on 71. And it looked like we were heading for a draw. But in the 90th minute, ball to the back post, Mitrovic just physically manhandling fullbacks this season, absolutely climbing all over him. Powerful header, back of the net, goal, victory, great win for Fulham. Great win for Fulham. What a start they've had to life in the Premier League. Five points 
from their three matches. They are in seventh position at the minute. I, I'm genuinely shocked at how impressive they've been. I really am. Now, they get Arsenal next, then Brighton, then Spurs, and then Chelsea. So it, it gets very tough. But it's not like they've had an easy run. Like, they played Liverpool opening day, then they played Wolves, and Brentford came in and form. So you have to give it to Marco Silva. The job he's done has been very, very impressive. I do think it's time for a couple of changes, though. Uh, like Issa Diop, it's time to put Issa Diop in for Tim Ream. Uh, Mbappu, it's time to put him in for Kenny Tete. You can improve your team just with those two. I thought the kid that played right wing, um, what's his name? Stansfield? He had a a fairly promising debut. Got got tired, but I thought first half, I thought he was very, very good. Lively, inventive, progressive, aggressive, trying to win the ball back as well. So all very, very promising for Fulham. Brentford, they'll be disappointed, but they still have four points. Uh, they're in eighth position. I think they'll be happy enough. Coming up for them, Everton at home, game they should win. Palace away, and then Leeds at home. So more chances to pick up points for Brentford, who, again, safety is all that matters. Just get yourself safe in the division. Next season, you can start to have maybe some more ambitions. Just survive. Year one and year two, just survive. Moving on, Crystal Palace 3, Aston Villa 1. Villa went 1-0 up on five minutes. Ollie Watkins with the opening goal of the game. Wolf Zaha equalised on seven minutes. Zaha made a two on 58 minutes. He missed a penalty. Great save by Martinez, but he scored the rebound. And then Mateta made a three on 71 after great work between Zaha and Mitchell down the left. Great cross from Mitchell and Mateta with a great finish. Um, I have to say, this could have been anything. This could have been six or seven. Palace absolutely annihilated Aston Villa here. And if you look at the raw numbers, you know, 17 shots to 13, 9 shots to 5, 51% possession against 49... You'd think it was an even enough game. It wasn't. It really wasn't. Palace absolutely dominated. A very clueless-looking Aston Villa. An Aston Villa team that really didn't seem to have any clue what they were meant to be doing. Palace just looked better coached. They looked much more hungry. They improved as the game went on. Ebri Chiesa and Wilf Zaha were sensational in this game. Eze just ghosting past players left and right. Zaha causing the Villa defence to no doubt have nightmares for the next week. Such an impressive showing from Palace. Really impressed with everything they did. Other than the slow start with allowing the first goal. But beyond that, tremendous performance. And I've seen a lot of Villa fans now starting to ask major questions about Steven Gerrard. 
questions that I had when they appointed him because I didn't think he was any good and I don't think he's any good as a manager. I just don't. He won the title in Scotland for two major reasons. Number one, Celtic's time at the top had to come to an end at some point. There'd been a lack of investment, a lack of squad turnover. Things had gone very stale and Neil Lennon was the manager. And you could tell they were really starting to stutter in that last title win by Celtic. You could tell a major refresh was needed and it didn't happen. They got lazy. And the other thing is, Stephen Gerrard spent more money at Rangers than the entire rest of the clubs in Scotland through all the divisions combined during his tenure at the club. And his wage bill at Rangers was bigger than every other club in Scotland bar Celtic combined. They bought their way to success. It's as simple as that. And now, if they fail to make the Champions League, which I don't think they're going to because they've got to play PSV, and they've got to go to Eindhoven now, having drawn 2-2 at home, which was their major advantage. And I think they'll get beaten because they were awful away from home last year in the Europa League. They lost away from home in the last round. I think they're going out. Now, they'll go into the Europa. But without the Champions League money, Rangers could be in serious trouble again. Their finances are catastrophically bad, again, because they bankrolled Gerrard to such an extent. But you watch that team play. And very little of it makes sense in what they do. Players are just occupying space, but they're not doing anything in that space. And it's not like there isn't talent in that team. Matty Cash is a very good right-back. Esri Konza is an excellent centre-back, but he has regressed under the management of Stephen Gerrard. Tyron Mings is a shambles, but he, that's what he is. Luca Dini is an excellent left-back. Jacob Ramsey is outstanding. Bubakar Kamara is outstanding. I think John McGinn is one of the most overrated players in the league. He doesn't do anything that is all that impressive. He's basically just Charlie Adam. Like, that's what he is. He's basically just Charlie Adam. He's got a good left foot. He can ping a pass. He can carry the ball. But he doesn't do them consistently and he doesn't impact games for long long stretches Leon Bailey's very talented Ollie Watkins is a good player and Emi Buendia is a good player Emi Martinez in goal is one of the best keepers in the league this team should not be this bad you know you look at the bench Douglas Louise, Danny Ings Callum Chambers whatever Augustinson, Coutinho Cameron Archer, like, there's a lot of talent here. And he's not getting anywhere close to the best of them. Gary Neville is routinely laughed at. Routinely laughed at for his tenure as manager of Valencia. Gary Neville managed Valencia for 28 games. If you ask some people, they'd tell you Gary Neville lost every game that he was in charge for. 
Gary Neville won 10 games, drew 7, lost 11. He had a goal difference of plus 1 and a win percentage of 35.71. Stephen Gerrard has been in charge of Aston Villa for 31 games, so 3 more than Neville. He's won 11, drawn 5, and lost 15 for a 35.5% win rate. Gary Neville had a better win rate at Valencia than Gerard does at Villa. At some point this has to become concerning and it's no surprise to see his odds starting to drop to be next manager sacked or first manager sacked. It really isn't. Because he's just not a good manager. He just isn't a good manager. The other factor to consider about his title win, no fans. COVID season. Big asterisks. Um, I'd be very concerned if I was a Villa fan. But you get a top manager in there. Like, I've said this before, Villa are a huge club. Huge club. European Cup winner, you know, won... Lots and lots and lots of trophies in their past. You look at their honour list and it is, it's the type of thing that will bring envy to most clubs. Seven league titles, seven FA Cups, five league Cups, European Cup. Whisper it, but that's more than City have won. That's more impressive than Manchester City as a football club. Villa are a huge club. If you go back to the start of the Premier League, Villa were part of the the then Big Six. Villa and Everton were in the Big Six at the time. Liverpool, United, Arsenal. They were the top three. Then it was... Villa, Everton, and Spurs. Now, Villa and Everton have fallen by the wayside, and Chelsea and City have been financially doped to the point of joining that group. But Villa are a massive club. Huge history, great fan base. Villa could be very ambitious. They've got very ambitious owners. Couldn't they go to Pochettino? And say, look, it's a strong squad. We back all our managers. like, And they do. Villa spend large quantities of money every season under these owners. It's just how they act. They, they behave like a big club. Like, even the 18-19 season that they started in, in the championship, they spent a decent amount of money. Then they came up and they spent fortunes. Like, ridiculous amounts of money spent in the summer of 2019. Wesley, 22 million. Mings for 20. Douglas Louise for 15. Marvis Acamba for 10. Uh, they brought in Samatha in the January for 8. They'd spent 11.5 on Target, 12 on Konza, 9 on Bjorn Engels, although I, I've never understood that one. 
uh, nine on Trezeguet. Like they spent eight million on Tom Heaton. Spent loads and loads of money. Summer of 2020 did the same thing. Maddie Cash, Ollie Watkins, Emmy Martinez, Bertrand Traore, then Morgan Sanson in the January. Hundreds of millions. Last summer they sold Grealish and didn't spend a whole bunch. But then Gerard arrived in the January and they bought Luca Dina and brought in Coutinho on a on a loan. This summer that we've just that we're in the middle of, Coutinho, Diego Carlos, Robin Olsen, like again, they've been backing this manager. Like they've backed Dean Smith before him and even Steve Bruce before him. They've been fortunate this month in that Chelsea gave them 20 million for um Chukwemeka. So that sort of balances out the spend and, and it's the reason they have money to spend. Like they're they spent this weekend trying to sign Ishmael Assar. That news broke late on Saturday night that they were trying to buy Ishmael Assar. A weird signing for them considering they don't really play with wingers. But um but a good player. That deal seems to have fallen apart uh, in part because of his own demands and in part because of issues between the clubs. Um, but they've backed managers. They they continue to do so. And if Pochettino was looking for a new project, was looking for a club he could build in his own image, a club where he could go in and he could he could really be the guy where he could make the decisions. If he wants to be you know, what Klopp is at Liverpool, what Wenger was at Arsenal, etc., etc. Maybe not having the success, but possibly. Villa's a great option. Because you're going to get everything you need there. Everything you need to have success is at Villa. Really good academy, great training facilities, good squad to start with, plenty of money to spend, supportive owners... If they go for Pochettino, I honestly think he would have a hard time turning that job down. Like, there's no way anyone could look at Tottenham when he took over and say, well, that's a much better job than Villa is now. Other than London? Not really sure what the gulf between the two clubs would be. Spurs had been in the Champions League a couple of times before that. But that's it. Villa will have more money to spend than he ever had at Spurs. And I think this squad might be better than what he inherited at Spurs. So, if I was them, I'd be moving on from Gerrard. I really would. Um, Palace should be very excited about where this season can take them. They're a right back and one midfielder away from an excellent starting eleven. once Elise comes back in. You bring Elise in for AU. Get a right-sided midfielder in for Schlupp. Schlupp's decent, but, I mean, you can do better. And upgrade on Joel Ward and all. And you've got um, you've got Sam Johnson to come in for gay thing goal. But that's it's, it's really starting to take shape for Crystal Palace right now. It really, really is. And their fans should be really excited. Palace sit ninth. Um, they've had, obviously... They did a difficult game against Arsenal where they were very disjointed, but they got the draw with Liverpool and now beat Villa. Next up, it's City, which will be tough, but then they get Brentford at home. Newcastle away will be very tough, then United at home, and then they get their big their big rivalry game 
against uh, Brighton on the 17th of September, which should be a cracker. Um, for Villa, up next, West Ham, which is going to be really difficult. Then it's Arsenal away, and then it's City at home, followed by Leicester away, who by then may have a new manager themselves. This is going to be a tough run for Aston Villa. Uh, one win and two defeats. Their win was over Everton, so it doesn't really count because anybody could beat Everton because they're awful. Uh, they're in trouble. Not not relegation trouble, but they're a little bit lost right now. They won't go down. There's too many good players, but they're a little bit lost right now. Uh, speaking of teams that look a little bit lost, uh, Bournemouth looked like they'd gone to go to some sort of championship game and turned up at a Premier League ground. And they were very comfortably swept aside by Arsenal. Uh, Odegaard on five minutes, Odegaard again on 11, and William Saliba with a lovely left footed finish on 54. Arsenal dominated this game, and once the two goals went in, it almost felt like they were just using it as extra training. It really did. It had that kind of feel that if Arsenal had wanted to really up the levels, that they could have gone through the gears and probably given them a fairly hefty smacking. Didn't understand the team selection from Parker at all, but, you know, don't really understand much of what Scott Parker does. To be completely honest, man wears two coats. So, I mean, who's who's really inside his head? Arsenal looked good. They did. They looked very good. And this was a very comfortable win for them. And a win. They were always going to be uh, Bournemouth away. So Arsenal are top. Again, you don't read anything into it because it's three games. But the easy start of the season does continue. Like, they've had the best possible run. Next, they get Fulham at home, a game they should win. Then they get Villa at home, game they should win. Then United away. Who knows what they'll be at that point. Then Everton at home. Now, they struggled with them last season, but a game they should win. Uh, they struggled away. They beat them at home. Um, then Brentford away. That'll be a tough enough one. Then it's Spurs at home. Then it's Liverpool at home. Leeds away. City at home. So they, the good thing for Arsenal is they're getting, they, they've got a good favourable run. The bad thing for Arsenal is that in the second half of the season, they have to go to these places. They have to go to Tottenham in January. They've got to go to Anfield in April and the London Stadium in April to play West Ham and the Etihad to play City all in April. So while the fixture list has been very kind to them now, second half is going to be a lot more difficult for them. Um, Bournemouth, they got the win against Villa and they've looked completely out of their depth in the last two games. They get Liverpool at home next. Sorry, no, it's Liverpool away. Uh, so they'll probably get a draw. Um, then, then they get Wolves at home and then Forest away. That Forest game is going to be huge. Absolutely huge for them. I don't fancy them at all. I I think they're on a one-way ticket to the championship. Uh, West Ham nil, Brighton 2. These are Sunday's games. <clears throat> Brighton were excellent here. Absolutely excellent. Outplayed West Ham in every phase. I thought the Moises Casado 
Alexis McAllister double pivot in midfield were just brilliant. Just bossed the game against Suchek and Rice. Uh, Pascal Grouse and Lana did what they do, which is not a whole lot of much. Danny Welbeck won the penalty for the first goal. Uh, Trossard drives through, started at left wing back, moved into a more advanced position later in the game, but from left wing back, picked the ball up, drove at West Ham, drove into space, slid the ball to Welbeck, and Tilo Carrera, who'd been left in a bad situation, I think what he tried to do was foul Welbeck outside the box. Unfortunately, he made a double contact and the second was on the line. Penalty given, Alexis steps up and scores. The second goal is a work of art. Uh, ball drops in midfield. Casado cushions the ball brilliantly to McAllister. McAllister gets his head up, fires it into the feet of Pascal Grouse. First touch by Grouse is sensational to just bring it round the corner of the defender. And Trossard, who'd moved into Lalana's spot when Lalana had gone off, Tired from running with a parachute in his back. Trossard goes through. Finishes very easily. Past Fabianski. And it is 2-0. And West Ham did not look good. Did not look good at all. I don't know what's wrong with them. I really don't know what's wrong with them. They look lethargic. Maybe having played midweek in the Europa League was it was a factor. But they look a little bit aimless. Thought Bowen had a poor game, Antonio had a poor game, Ben Rama had a poor game, Fornals was non-existent, uh, Rice and Suchek got, got outplayed. Just all in all, a, a poor outing for West Ham. And uh, they are bottom of the league, three defeats from three. They're going to turn it around. I'm, I'm fully confident that they'll turn it around, but needs to happen soon because they've got difficult games coming up. Now, they get Villa away next. It's away, so it is tough. And they've got Viborg to deal with midweek in the second leg of that Conference League nonsense. Um, Then it's Spurs at home. Then West Ham away. Then Newcastle at home. Now, Newcastle away are different than when you go up to St. James, so they should get a win there. Then they get Everton. Then they get West Ham. Then they get Fulham. They've got to get through this bumpy start because then they start to get a bit of a more favourable run where they play Fulham, Southampton and Bournemouth in you know three or four games, things like that. Um, I'm, I'm confident that they'll turn it around, but they don't look good at the minute. Brighton look great at the minute. They dominated United, they dominated Newcastle and they've dominated West Ham all in different ways. And the Casado-McAllister pairing in midfield just looks great. Absolutely great. Long may it continue unless Liverpool can buy him. If Liverpool can buy him, Liverpool should buy him. Otherwise, stay there, develop, and you and McAllister are great together. Uh, what is exciting about this Brighton team is that they can actually improve it internally without doing too much. I mean... Veltman has started the season well, but they have the option of bringing in Levi Colwell. Now, it would mean Webster switching across, but I think that's fine. Solly March, I'm never going to be sold on, but they've got Tariq Lamptey to bring in. Trossard as a wing-back doesn't sit right with me, but with a stupid in the door now, he can move back into his more natural position, which is as one of the two behind the striker. And Adam Lalana can go and take his natural position, which is on the bench. Um, Pascal Grouse potentially could be upgraded on with a couple of their young options Kasper Kozlowski 
uh, in CISO, who they bought this summer. And Grouse is a decent player. I'm not saying he's not, but, you know, they've got Neil Mope if he sticks around. It looks like he'll leave, but he, he might stick around. They've got Matoma, who looks talented. They've got Undav. They still need their number nine. Welbeck. He, look, he offers plenty of hard work, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs, but he just lacks quality. And um, that puts a ceiling on this team. But it is exciting for them that they've got a very strong squad. They've also got the likes of Edith Mwepu and Stephen Alzate, who can come into that midfield and offer some other options too. Um, so Brighton fans should be really happy. I think Brighton and Crystal Palace, if the Premier League had like league pass like the, like the NBA does, I think Brighton and Palace would be very high in most people's lists of teams to watch. And I think Graham Potter is going to be very high on the lists of Leicester, Everton and Aston Villa, if and when they make moves to replace the managers. Um, one manager who I think people had big doubts over but is proving them all wrong is Jesse Marsh. And his Leeds team put Chelsea across their knees and smacked their backsides, to be quite honest. A 3-0 win for Leeds. Now... Let's be clear. Chelsea started this game as the better team. Chelsea were the better team for the first 30 minutes. And were really starting to assert themselves. And Sterling was just causing Leeds all kinds of problems. And then Thiago Silva played the ball back to Mendy. Mendy received the ball under no pressure. And Brendan Aronson just pressed him. Because that's what you should do as a forward player. And Mendy just had a complete meltdown. Gifted the ball to Aronson, who just tapped it home and made it 1-0. An absolute nightmare for Mendy. Uh, it was 2-0 four minutes later. Le uh, Leeds just found a new gear. Chelsea were rattled. Corner in. And Rodrigo out jumps Reese James. Smacker of a header. Back of the net. And then on 69, Jack Harrison makes it three. Leeds were great. Chelsea just looked completely rattled. They fell apart. I do want to talk more about them later in the week, so I won't do too much now. But they really did look all at sea. Koulibaly had a nightmare game. Aronson spun him early in the game, made him look really bad and really old. And then the red card is just, he's just awful positioning. Um, he's, he's struggling with the back three. He really is struggling with the back three. They need to move to a back four, which means they have to drop Thiago Silva. They have to drop Thiago Silva and move to a back four. And this Reese James is a right side centre back and a three nonsense. That needs to stop. He's not nearly good enough defensively to do that. And like, what are you getting from that? You get to play Ruben Loftus Cheek as a wing back because you're being really clever and playing a hybrid system that's a five out of possession and a box midfield four with a box in, in possession. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Not with him. Like, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a talented player. He's got a lot to offer. Not in that role, though. Not in that role. This was really poor from Thomas Tuchel. Really, really poor. And Chelsea haven't had the start they will have hoped for. They do have four points. So, you know, it's not a disaster. But they should have beaten Spurs and you shouldn't lose 3-0 away at Leeds. Uh, they get Leicester at home next then Southampton away, then West Ham. Tuchel won't be under any pressure, I don't think, because obviously he's in talks to sign a new contract. And 
Todd Bowley being everybody's best friend wants Thomas Tuchel to stay. Maybe scared that he'll find himself buried under Thomas Tuchel's patio if he wrongs him. But you know, Tuchel will be fine there. Uh, but Jesse Marsh should be thrilled. Two wins and a draw from not a straightforward, not an easy run. Wolves at home. Wolves are a good team. Southampton away. They could have won that game. They were 2 0 up. And then they beat Chelsea. They get Brighton away next. That's going to be a big test. But then they get Everton at home, Brentford away, Leeds at home, United away, Villa at home, and Palace away. And they could well pick up another 12 points across those six games. Which. Again, for Leeds, after the season they had last year, stay in the division. Don't worry about anything else. Stay in the division. Keep getting that lovely TV money. Last game then. And this was, this was the game of the weekend. This, this was absolutely fantastic stuff. City 3, Newcastle 3 at St. James's. City went 1-0 up to Ilkay Gundogan. Just poor defending, left Gundigan unmarked in the box. Eight yards out, touch, finish. Great start for City. And then something clicked with Newcastle. And it was like, it was like they just looked at John Stones and thought, you're not very good. And they looked at Kyle Walker and thought, you've got a reputation as being great, but we don't think you are. And Alan St. Maximum just absolutely roasted the two of them. Time after time after time. He absolutely destroyed them. And Newcastle found a model of playing against City that really worked. They kept their back four deep. In the defensive area. They didn't commit the fullbacks to bomb forward. They gave Trippier a little bit more license to move about a bit. Because of his passing ability and playmaking. But the back four stayed fairly solid as they were. And Gamerish sat in front of them. And he really did dictate things. What they did was they got their two number eights, Joe Willock and Jolington, the Joe brothers, and they just threw them forward endlessly with pace and with power to go and cause havoc in that city box, just crash into the box as bodies that city were going to have to deal with. They had an inspired Miguel Almiron and out of his mind, Alan St. Maximum. And then they had the physicality of Wilson to play off. So they could fire the ball into him and then get all the bodies around him for the layoffs. And honestly, for probably 40 minutes, from about 20 minutes to 60 minutes, they destroyed Man City. Absolutely destroyed them. Tore them apart. Time after time after time. And they could have had five goals. They got three. 
Almiron's there's a bit of luck about because he's like he falls over as the ball comes to him, but luckily it's a nice low ball and it hits his thigh and goes in. Eleven minutes later, that's from a, a set maximum cross after he'd made a show of Walker and Rodri over on the wing. Eleven minutes later, it's set maximum again. This time he finds Callum Wilson. It's a good touch to get it out of his feet and a great finish past Ederson. They go in 2-1 up and St. James's Park is absolutely bouncing. 54 minutes, free kick on the edge of the, well, it's not even on the edge, it's a bit out from the edge of the city box. And Kieran Trippier steps up and hits an absolute rasper. And it arrows into the top corner and no keeper in the world is saving that. Not even getting close to it. It's sensational. What a hit. And then the game swung on about 60. And it swung for one reason and one reason only. Kevin De Bruyne had just decided he was taking control of the game. What I noticed here was 3-1 down. Most managers panic and make a change. Guardiola didn't. He told the players to figure it out. You figure it out. You got yourselves into this mess. You get yourselves out of this mess. And Kevin De Bruyne said, all right, fair enough. And he stepped up and just took over. And nobody could get close to him. It's his brilliant ball to the back post that's headed back across goal by, I think, Ruben Diaz. And Erling Haaland taps home from three yards. Erling Haaland had been shocking to that point. But he gets his goal. Three minutes later, maybe the pass the season so far from De Bruyne. Picks the ball up 35 yards out. Slide rule ball. Bernardo Silva's making a run in behind the defence. Perfectly weighted. Touch, finish. 3-3. De Bruyne also played an outstanding ball in behind the defence for Haaland to run on to, get 1v1 with Pope. Pope made a great save. Pope made a couple of great saves in this game. And then we had the real controversy of the game. De Bruyne picks the ball up in his own half, drives past the first man, accelerates past Trippier, who brings him down. Now, initially you just thought, yeah, yellow card. The referee pulls out a straight red. On review, it's overturned back to a yellow. But I do sort of feel like it should have been a red. I do sort of feel like it should have been. He goes in knee height on him. Now, it's what saves him is there's not a whole lot of force in it. But it's a knee high tackle purely to spoil. It's a cynical foul. It's knee high, and that's what I just I can't get away from. He does catch him on the knee. Like I know there's not the force in it, but it's a dangerous tackle. I feel like it should have been a red. Most people seem to disagree, and that's fair enough. I'm not going to argue with it. 
But I hate those type of fouls. Whatever about a shirt pull. Shirt pull, little trip at the ankles, whatever. But that type of thing, lunging in, catching a player in the knee, that for me just, that that's a red card for me. But it is what it is. Yellow card given. And the game just sort of played out from there. Both sides had a couple of half chances. Um, Toon should be thrilled. Toon got a little bit tired, though. Almiron, who had been great. St. Maxim, who was brilliant. If those two lads could play like that every week, Toon would finish probably sixth or seventh this year. As it is, I, I think they'll finish top half, but I don't think they'll get Europe. Um, There's a lot of very good teams in the league. Or not even very good teams. There's, to be fair, there's not a lot of very good teams. There's two... There's two excellent teams. There's a couple of very good teams in Chelsea and Spurs. And there's a bunch of good teams. A bunch of good teams. And I don't know that Newcastle are any better than Palace or any better than Brighton. They certainly didn't look better than Brighton last week. Um, and like they don't play like this all the time. If they could play like this all the time, then they would do a lot better. But they don't. And... They don't really have the squad to sustain it either. So, look, I think Toon will be good. I just don't think they're going to be as good as some people are making out. Uh, Toon, though, uh, sixth in the league with five points. Up next, Wolves away, then Liverpool at home. No, sorry, Liverpool away. And then Palace at home. Wolves away, Liverpool away, Palace at home. That's going to be a, a tough enough run for them. Uh, for City, second in the league, they won't be in any way concerned. They have Crystal Palace at home next, then Forest at home, then Villa away. So they'll be happy enough. I believe they're play playing Barcelona in midweek in a friendly for some ungodly reason. Uh, right, that's those games. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll run through the latest gossip and news, and then we'll be done. See you in a second. Right, welcome back. So as I mentioned earlier, David Ornstein reporting that Pedro Neto is a target for Arsenal. He also reported the Regulon to um to Forrest potential deal. And he's reported that Leeds have rejected a second offer for Jack Harrison from Newcastle. Um Harrison had a very good game at the weekend, so you can see why they would want to keep hold of him. Uh, John Percy was the person who originally broke the news about Ish Ishmael Assar to Aston Villa from Watford. He is now reporting it is set to fall through, as I said earlier. Um, what else do we have? Casemiro has said his goodbyes at Real Madrid. He will be presented as a Manchester United player this evening, there was a big press conference and all sorts held. And he met with the players and coaches and all that before leaving Real Madrid. Um, yeah, he, he cried. Probably the thoughts of having to go to Manchester United. But I'm sure the 375000 a week that he'll be getting 
uh, will make him feel a lot better. Um, so yeah, I mean, he look, he's he, he's moving for the money. There's no other reason to. He's moving for the money. He's thirty now. He wants that last big, big contract, and rightly so. Uh, Jude Bellingham will be Real Madrid's top transfer priority midfield next summer. Uh, it's according to Jan Agafjortoft, so it's probably tripe because most of what he comes out with is tripe. Juventus's move for Memphis Depay has stalled because they failed to reach an agreement over personal terms. If Antoine Griezmann plays less than 30 minutes per game, the purchase clause in his loan will not become mandatory. He has played exactly 29 minutes in both of Atletico's games so far. That's magnificent if, if that's the real reason. Uh, Eric Ten Hag is convinced Manchester to go for Frankie de Jong and just give up. Just give up. He doesn't want the move. Um, Hakim Ziyech is keen on rejoining, rejoining Ajax. Interesting. Uh, oh, I don't know if anybody saw it over the weekend, but a big story came out in the Dutch press about my friend, my hero, my mate, Fabrication Romano, and his stealing of other journalists' work. Romano has not replied, not even acknowledged it. Hilarious. Hilarious stuff. It's about time. It really is about time. Let's just do anything else. Be done. Ajax's Brazilian winger, is Anthony, is pushing to join Manchester. If United pay the asking price, which is basically £86 million, including some 15 or 16 million in add-ons, Somebody should be fired. That's ludicrous for a player who has done very, very little in the game. Um, Manchester United remain in the hunt for Cody Gakpo. I don't understand wanting Anthony or Gakpo. They're so different. They do very different things. Manchester United will block any move for Harry Maguire. Why? Why would you do that? Drive him to anybody that will take him away. Jurgen Klopp says midfielder Naby Keita will not be allowed to leave this summer. He has one year left on his contract. AC Milan have made another approach for Tottenham's 23-year-old English centre-back, Jaffa Tanganga. Newcastle are hoping for a transfer breakthrough this week and believe a move for Watford's Brazilian forward, Joe Pedro, is possible. I don't understand why other clubs aren't all over that. Like Brighton, for God's sake, you need a striker. You're flush with money. After spe- selling Cucurella and Basuma, he's outstanding and will have massive resale value if you develop him the right way, which is what you do. I don't understand why Brighton wouldn't be all over going for him. Manchester City and England midfielder Kira Walsh remains a target for Barcelona. Uh, Aston Villa. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is Ishmael Asar. Leeds and Newcastle are looking at LAFC's Ecuadorian midfielder, Jose Quifentes, who is also attracting interest from Brighton. Nice are continuing negotiations with Arsenal over a loan for Nicolas Pepe. Lazio are looking at a move for Sergio, Sergio Regulon. Uh, Nottingham Forest are interested in signing Serge Aurier, who is a free agent. Uh, his last spell in England didn't go great, but as a wing back, he'd probably be all right. And as a backup to Nico Williams, he'd probably be fine. 
Forrest wants, wants Hans Hattabor. Uh Hans Hattabor is better than Nico Williams. So that would be a bit of an odd one. Well, it wouldn't be an odd one. You'd be improving your team, but you just spent 17 million on Nico Williams. Um, Willie Bolly. Tottenham could sign Ruslan Malinovsky from Atlanta. I don't know why. He doesn't really fit what they need. Aston Villa have submitted a loan offer for Jan Bednarak. I really don't think there's any possibility that Southampton would accept that. Tottenham, Roma and Inter Milan are all interested in Trevo Chalaba. Sounds like agents trying to big up uh, trying to big up a potential move that maybe isn't actually there. And I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Ornstein reporting the uh, this Wolves talks as well. Uh, no formal offer or agreement yet. And since he's among a number of options being considered. So they are looking to bring in a striker again. Joe Pedro would be great. Now, he's not as much of a goal scorer. He's not a, a proven goal scorer yet. So maybe he's not quite what Wolves are looking for, but I, Brighton should be all over him. 21 million for for this player is, is not a bad fee. Ornstein says the clubs are some distance apart. Maybe they find uh, Maybe they find a common ground. Right, we'll leave it there, folks. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Uh, might not be here Thursday, Friday this week. Still waiting to hear on something that might pop up. But uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Talk to you soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.